You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things advertising, marketing, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau, part-time podcast host, full-time dad, full-time agency owner. And I'm here today with Steve Olsher, 30-year-plus entrepreneur, founder, editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine, original founder of Liquor.com, creator of the New Media Summit, host of the top-rated podcast, Reinvention Radio, international keynote speaker, and in-demand strategic coach who helps businesses of all sizes leverage the power of new media to generate visibility, leads, and revenue on autopilot. Welcome. I appreciate you having me here. Well, so you're the you're the guy. You're the I'm the guy. Somebody, I was telling somebody about like, hey, I'm gonna be interviewing Steve. And like, whoa, all the way to the top. The podcast Sweet. guru. So true. Maybe let's who said, uh, who said such things? We should give him a thank you. We should, absolutely. But well, he's actually a podcast guy himself. And so I was telling him about this and, and he was like, Wow, I'm gonna listen in. So very cool. excited to have you. And maybe let's just start with an origin story. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself and and who you are and introduce the audience to Steve. Yeah. So go back a few decades now. Always naturally wired as an entrepreneur. Started out pretty much from the time I can remember trying to rub a couple of dimes together to make a quarter. Like I was one of those kids that would go and rake leaves and get paid and I would shovel sidewalks and driveways and get paid. And that led to just starting work really, really early. I was just always one of those guys that loved to make a buck, right? So ended up spending in nightclubs for a while. I was a DJ for a long time and then opened up my own nightclub when I was 19. That was my first real foray into the entrepreneurial world there and ended up getting involved in the catalog space really early in the dot-com world. Launched a store on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993. Eventually sold that company, Liquor.com, to Barry Dealers IAC and real estate development. And now in the world of podcasting, we publish Podcast Magazine. We run Club Pod on Clubhouse and do live events as it relates to podcasting. And so, yeah, really just all in on the new media space now. But man, I think uh, if you name it, I did it over the years, including I developed over $50 million in uh, residential and commercial real estate. So how does one go from you know, Liquor.com to residential commercial real estate to podcast magazines and being a strategic coach and everything like that. I mean, yeah. you see, maybe it's the entrepreneur mind. I don't know. It seems like you're, you're it's, a man of all things. It's the blessing and the curse, man. And ultimately it boils down to one very simple word, which is boredom. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I hate being bored. And like I said, it's the blessing and the curse of a creative entrepreneurial mind. Podcast magazine is a perfect example of that. I went from sitting in a conference, had this idea, was like, why is there not sort of the rolling stone for the podcast industry? Why isn't there Vanity Fair or Sports Illustrated or Wired or whatever for the podcast industry? So I went from sitting in a chair, having that idea, reaching out for my right-hand person, my partner, and basically just saying, what do you think? And she's like, well, it's kind of an interesting idea. Why don't we see if we can do something down the line on it? We'll just pocket it for now. And I was like, no, we're doing this now. And we ended up within 100 days releasing our first issue of Podcast Magazine and have a team of about 20-something-odd people working on it. So that's the blessing and the curse. But it's just really a matter of going from idea to inception and understanding, I guess, and getting better at over the years, really being able to ferret out the good ideas from those that we just need to take a pass on. So yeah, man, it's just a creative mind that says, this is something I want to do and I just do it. So then what, with Podcast Magazine, who is the audience? Tell us a little bit about it. Is it for hosts? Is it for people that are starting their own podcasts? Is it for entrepreneurs? Who are you intending this for? Yeah, so the answer is yes. <laughs> and <laughs> what we realize is that it was originally designed to be for podcast fans. It was originally designed to be around the world of podcasts and podcast culture and for people in the industry of podcasting. Our goal, our mission was really to elevate the podcast industry. Like that's it. Just really, really simple, very straightforward goal, elevate the podcast industry. That was it. 
we felt like there would be a really great opportunity to take people beyond the microphone and deeper into the lives of the podcasters that they hear, but they may not really know, and then introduce readers to podcasts that they may not be familiar with, but really should be listening to. And so that was the original idea. And we thought there would be more fans that would end up reading the magazine than actual podcasters. But what we found is that the majority of people who have podcasts are podcast fans themselves. And so it's about 50-50 in terms of the people who read the magazine that have a podcast and people who read the magazine and don't. And so is it a subscription? It's like I noticed it's online, obviously. Yeah. And so yeah. where are the majority of the people consuming this? The majority of the people are consuming it digitally. So we have it as a digital magazine. We release it monthly. Our average issue is about 140 pages. So, I mean, it's a massive undertaking every single month. And the majority of the people, they do read it digitally, but we have a print edition as well. And so we're trying to find the right print partner on that and get distribution. And I really think it stands up well against all the other magazines that are on newsstands. So our goal is to get to more of a 50-50 balance on digital versus print just because we love the look and feel. And I'm, I'm kind of old school and I love having a magazine in my hand. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But right now, about 98% of our subscribers are digital and about 2% are, are physical. That's fantastic. You mentioned something about icon of influence in your niche. Maybe oh. tell the audience what that means. Yeah, so nowadays, with more people really trying to live that laptop lifestyle, you know, the question is, how do I do it? What do I do if I'm a coach or an author or a speaker or a podcaster or a solopreneur or online marketer? How do I really differentiate myself from the thousands and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other people who are doing similar things? So what we have become really, really good at is helping people identify really where that sort of blue ocean of opportunity is, how to create a, a category of one, right? W-O-N, as we call it, category of one. And the idea being that if you want to live this laptop lifestyle, if you want to have a business that really is differentiated from others who are doing similar things, then the way to do that is to really become an icon of influence in your respective niche. You have to be the type of person who, if you think about it in terms of a, a conference, let's just say you walk into a conference room and there are 10 tables in this conference room. And there's a conversation going on at each of the 10 tables. And there's a table tent that has a single word on it. And you get to choose based on the word on that table tent, which table you're going to sit at. So maybe one table tent says marketing. One table tent says finance. And one table tent says sports and whatever it is. I mean, you just, you know, you have to choose, right? You have to choose which table you're going to sit at. And so ultimately, you're one person. You can't sit at multiple tables. So choose which table you're going to sit at. And then ultimately, this is something that you have a lot of knowledge about, something that puts fire in your soul, something that you can talk about to the cows come home, something that you have expertise in. You sit down, you demonstrate your expertise. And people are like, damn, you know, that really knows his stuff. Like this guy is super smart about marketing and this, that, and the other. And that's all well and good. But to become an icon of influence in your niche, you want your name to come up in that conversation taking place around that table, even when you're not sitting at that table or even in that room, right? So that's what it really means to be an icon of influence. It's about elevating your status, building your credibility, building your authority, and identifying where that category of one exists so that you're not competing against the masses. And ultimately, your reputation proceeds, you're even walking into that room, and you're a part of that conversation even when you're not present. Who have you interviewed or anyone that you've seen in that podcast world who has actually achieved that has actually sat at that table be it in a particular topic and just became that yeah so it's interesting i mean it's really hard like if i said to you what is the difference between jordan harbinger and gary vaynerchuk and tim ferris and you know a lot of those types of folks it's really hard to come up with a key differentiator i mean you could say okay gary's all about the hustle right and tim's all about the hack and you know, Jordan interviews people and he's great at interviewing people. Okay, whatever. So is Andrew Warner from Mixergy. And so is, I mean, Rogan from that standpoint, right? I mean, you look at Rogan, Rogan is Rogan only because of the numbers that he has. As an interviewer, he's really no different than any other interviewer. I mean, he's got his own style and his own way and he asks questions and this, that and the other, but you come right down to it. It's just another interview show, 
right? I mean, you could arguably say Howard Stern is a better interviewer than Joe Rogan, or you could say Larry King was a better interviewer. You could say Oprah was a better interviewer than all of them combined, right? Depending on who you like and, and whatnot. Point being, there's not a huge differentiator between any of those folks and, and really what they do outside of the fact that people have now known them for years and they put them in a bucket and they say, this is who they are. So if you think about it in terms of someone who has been really good at becoming an icon of influence in their niche, you're typically going to look at people who fall outside of the scope of the norm. So for example, one of our clients, her name was Lucy Dumas. Lucy was sort of in that one of many type of bucket there. Just so many different people doing what she does. What does she do? She helps photographers create profitable photography businesses. Okay, so that's who her people are. She helps photographers create profitable photography businesses. But she was competing against all of these other people that were doing similar things. So ultimately, we branded her as the profitable photographer. We named her podcast the profitable photographer. Her online course is the profitable photographer. The point being that when you now look at the landscape, if you are a photographer and you want to create a profitable photography practice, you're going to listen to a show called The Profitable Photographer. You're going to go and find this woman who has branded herself as, and we helped to brand her as, The Profitable Photographer, right? So Ultimately, if you're sitting at a table and there are people talking about photography and then someone's saying, hey, who can I turn to to help me create a profitable photography business? That's where someone's like Lucy's name would come up and that person would say, hey, you know, if you want to create a profitable photography business, you got to check out what Lucy's doing. Right. I mean, like that's what it means to become an icon of influence in your niche. And we've got countless examples and countless niches of people just like Lucy. But at the end of the day. It's just really easy to be one of many, and it's really hard to create a category of one. What about style? Do you ever talk to folks about style and how they, you know, different speakers have different approaches and how they communicate and how they jive and their particular groove, as it were? Do you ever talk about that? Because I know that Brene Brown is someone that, you know, people talk about and listen to. And I got to say, the first couple of times I, I listened to her, I actually didn't quite gravitate, even though the content itself was great. And over yeah. time, it's built up and you know I'm listening to her or Simon Sinek, but even Sinek himself, I was like, ah, something about his style initially yeah. I didn't really jive with. Again, I loved his content. So how do you talk to you know your potential clients or others that are looking to get into this space? How do you coach them on that? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's interesting, right? I do think that there's something to be said for listening to others and finding people that you admire and then modeling some of what they do. But what I do know to be true is that most people are really just kind of afraid of really being who they are. They're afraid of ruffling feathers. They're afraid of just coming off looking bad. They're just afraid to be who they inherently are. And so that's really hard to teach. It's really hard to teach someone. Like you got to love Rogan and Ferris and Vaynerchuk and, and the people that we've named because they have become increasingly comfortable in their own skin, take it or leave it, you know? and that's not an easy thing to teach, but I agree with you. There are a lot of people out there that on the surface, you look at their numbers and you go, God, this guy sucks. Oh, excuse my language. <laughs> oh, we got to beep that thing out. But, you know, but it's like, yeah, right. So, but it's like, how does this person get to these sort of numbers? Like it just, it doesn't add up. And, and the bottom line is that it's not always about the end product that someone creates. I mean, you know this as well as anybody in terms of marketing. It's not always the best product that wins. Mm. It's the person who is most omnipresent and reaches more eyeballs and eardrums with their message, period. That's who wins. Now, how do you stay on top though? So you get a, you come out, have a great podcast, great topic, great subject. And then you know, you're 80 episodes in, 90 episodes in, and how do you stay relevant? How do you stay fresh? How do you not burn out because it's like, oh my gosh, now I got to put up yet another one or another one or another one? Yeah, and that's a real problem. As a matter of fact, I mean, I've had that problem. I've been doing reinvention radio since 2009. I have stopped and started and stopped and started because you get burnt. And so one of the things that I really encourage new podcasters to think about is having seasons. And literally having a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that is one of the interesting things about this world of podcasting 
And that's one of the reasons why true crime is the biggest category of all the shows. Because if you look at most of the true crime shows, there, there is a distinct beginning, episode one, a middle, episode five, and an end, episode 10. Beginning, middle, and end. You don't go to a movie that plays for days and days and days and days. Eventually, it ends. <laughs> so one of the things that I would encourage a lot of folks to start thinking about is can I batch this into seasons? Right, because seasons ultimately gives you the flexibility to take time off, to have different themes, to bring new people in. And most people, when they know and have a specific goal or objective in terms of what it is they're trying to accomplish within a finite period of time, are able to do that. But when you don't have a clear goal or a clear objective or a finite period of time with which to accomplish whatever that initiative is that you're looking to bring to fruition, it's really hard to do. And frankly, your audience gets just as burnt out on it as you do. Yeah. And then I guess, you know, they'll just tune out and go somewhere else. Right. So I think the season is a great idea. You talked about themes. Is that something that you've done for your show? We have. Yeah. So one of the things that we like to do are the occasional four or six episode type of theme. So for example, a theme could be something like our, our series on reinventing homelessness. So that was a theme that we put forth and we did a six episode series on reinventing homelessness. And it worked really well. We brought a lot of attention and care and kindness to the community there. But, you know, look, the truth is that even as far as themes or seasons are concerned, I mean, not all shows are going to lend itself to doing that because all of our shows have a reinvention type of theme. It works for us, but it's not necessarily going to work for everyone. But I do like the, especially like if you're in business, you can do a theme or a series of shows on a particular topic and that series and then move on to the next series. So again, beginning, middle and end. Well, someone like yourself, you know, being a the podcast guy, you know, with podcast magazine, there's so many topics out there right now. What's of most interest to you right now? What makes you go, hmm, I want to talk more about that or explore that? Yeah. So for me right now, we're, we're, we're spending an inordinate amount of time really digging into the world of social audio or drop-in audio, whatever you want to call it. And so that's a really interesting conversation, especially as it relates to podcasters. You know, does social audio kill traditional podcasting as we know it? That's been a question that we've had now for some time. Are they complementary? Do they sit nicely side by side? Can you have the evergreen sitting next to the FOMO? And, and, and how do they work potentially together? So social audio to me is a really interesting conversation right now because very few times over the course of our life are we going to have the opportunity to witness the birth of a brand new industry. And so this is literally the birthing, you know, and, and will Clubhouse win? I don't know. Will Fireside when will Twitter spaces win? I don't know. But what I think we have done a good job of establishing is that this isn't a flash in the pan and that there is actually a market for this drop in audio sort of platform. And so that's a really interesting conversation for us right now. And just to kind of give a real world example of how powerful it is, we built our club on Clubhouse, which is called Club Pod, to a membership of, well, they'll put a date stamp on this, but to a membership and following of almost 60,000 people. Wow. We've never built a community over 50,000 people in any less than two or three years in any way, shape, or form in any industry that I've been a part of. We built a community of almost 60,000 people in less than five months. So just to kind of put a little bit of an analogy on it so you can compare the two, Podcast Movement, which is the biggest event in the world of podcasting, they have a Facebook group and it's taken them over six years to build a community of, I think their group has about 62 or 63,000 people in their group. At this pace, we will get to where they are in six to seven months. So pretty compelling proposition and a really interesting conversation to have. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And why do you think that is? Is it just, you know, the new fad, as it were? Or is it, like you said, it's establishing as an industry whether or not it's Clubhouse or, you know, Twitter space that's going to win out. We don't know. But... Why is all of a sudden this exponential attention? Well, I think it's a convergence of a lot of very interesting trends. So COVID, a lot of people staying home. Then you have work from home. So a lot more people just being able to, well, spend time doing what they want to do without someone kind of watching over their shoulder. And... This whole shift, right? If you think about the pendulum and how the pendulum kind of just swings all the way to the one side and then all the way to the other, like for a long time, that pendulum had really been swinging up towards having all of these highly produced, highly polished, you know, really just fancy looking pieces of content, right? Mm -hmm. All the video production and the sets and the cuts and the this and the that. And what ends up happening is the gap between the haves and the have-nots in terms of the haves being the people that can create that really fancy, beautiful content and the have-nots in terms of the people that don't have that sort of equipment, don't have that sort of team. When that gap grows and it widens, then what happens is eventually begins to implode onto itself and the whole thing collapses. So you had far too many people in the have-not column and very few people in the have column. And you start to see rebellion around that. And so let's play that out in terms of the shift towards more raw, real, authentic, unpolished, unproduced sort of content and conversations. And then combine that with COVID, combine that with work from home, combine that with the fact that you can simply you know, do everything just with the phone in your hand. You don't need any fancy technology. And there's so many different conversations going on around so many different subjects that all of a sudden what you thought was really niche and nobody was interested in it. Now you can open up a room and you can have 10, 20, 50, 100 people from around the globe being a part of that conversation. And now all of a sudden you're a player in a game that previously didn't exist. That's super powerful, right? You can access different audience as well. And so how do you how do you market that? We haven't even talked about marketing your podcast, let alone you know this, but let's dive here first. What would you yeah. advise? It's fairly new territory. Yeah, I mean, as far as, and let's just use Clubhouse as the example, because, I mean, there are other platforms, but Clubhouse is, is the leader at this point, and I believe they have enough of a first mover advantage to maintain that leadership position. Clubhouse is, is a very unique animal in the whole world of social. And I think part of the reason why there has been so much appeal in the world of social is because of the fact that you really can't game the system. I mean, you can game it in terms of, yeah, you can buy bots or you can buy followers like that already exists in that world. But the reality is 
it's useless. If you open a room and you have 100,000 followers and three people show up, that's obviously someone who's gamed the system. From a marketing perspective, it's just one of those things where you have to show up, right? The, the way that you build your following is by showing up and sharing in a, in a raw and real and authentic way. The way that you build your club is by opening room after room after room in a club, in your club, where it is a high-value, entertaining, or informative conversation that people go, yeah, I want to join this club, right? And so when you have other platforms, like maybe you have a, a, a big following on Instagram, or maybe you have an email list and some other platform, sure, you can use that to drive people to your clubhouse rooms, your clubhouse profile, et cetera. Sure, that works. But really, it's such an interesting opportunity for so many and really levels the playing field in ways that we haven't seen for the better part of a decade. Because those who are just willing to show up and put in the time are building a, a really meaningful following on the platform. And ultimately, that following translates into real conversations into highly targeted leads, and into real revenue. And so you're seeing a lot of people now shifting into using Clubhouse as a way with which to uh, attract ideal prospects and ultimately generate revenue. So are you saying that as somebody who, with the lens of a podcaster, when you're saying leads and generating sales, are you talking about like a small business person, like a hair salon owner or a construction worker or an interior designer or myself who runs an agency? Like, Who are you thinking this for? Um, yes. <laughs> so, okay, yes. So when you say an agency, give me a little more detail just because I apologize, but I don't know what your agency is. So what's your agency? Yeah. yeah. So the agency is a marketing agency. We do digital marketing and websites, you know, the traditional kind of marketing that you would see these days. Yeah. So perfect opportunity for you to create a club that talks about like, I mean, like websites, if that's so 80, 20 rule, 80% of your revenue is derived from what? 20% of your clients. Yes, I know that. But for you oh. and your agency, 80% of your revenue is derived from what activity specifically? Approximately. Mostly from the lead gen digital marketing that we do. Yeah. So you do lead gen. Okay. Yeah, we so, do lead gen, but not on this. So that's what's kind of interesting when you're saying, hey, you can do lead gen on Clubhouse. I'm like, what? I thought it was just Elon Musk talking about Bitcoin. Okay, right. So you do lead gen for people and people pay you for those high quality leads? Yeah, perfect. So, so I have lots of friends who play in that world. I just want to make sure I understood what you did. So a couple of things can happen. And let's just make you into a case study here, right? So of the people who pay you for those leads, is there one particular industry that pays you 80% of the revenue for lead generation? Like, is there one industry that you could put your finger on and say, 80% of our revenue for lead generation comes from this industry? Well, yeah, I guess we're pretty active members of the Home Builders Association of Vancouver here in, in BC and Canada. And so Perfect. we do quite a bit of work with those folks. Yeah. Yeah. So home builders, right? Yeah. So if you were to create a club, as an example, that focused on home building or real estate trends or something of that nature, mm. right, where you led rooms and you talked about like home building today and like every morning for 30 minutes, you read the top news going on in the world of home building you'd start to build your reputation as being a, an expert in the world of home building, right? And because you have now all of these people who are interested in home building and are interested in this world tuning into this room and ultimately your club, it gives you the perfect opportunity to introduce who you are and what you do. So, you know, look, it's the old adage of value first, right? So you add value, you entertain, you educate, you inform, and then, oh, by the way, you know, this room is brought to you by blank, blank, blank. Our business is blank. If we can help you, da, 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 right? So the whole value add give first, but really in a niche specific way, literally you get people to raise their hand, right? And 100% of the people who raise their hand to come into that room are going to have a vested interest in that particular industry. That's awesome. So this is kind of what you do for your clients? Like it, sure. It says you're, you know, you're a coach. So you kind of advise them on, on these kinds of things? Yeah, I mean, I don't consider myself to be a coach. I don't do any one-on-one -on -one coaching, but our organization helps people really become icons of influence in their respective niche, right? And so that can be in the, in the way that we're talking about in terms of the branding and the positioning. It can be through launching a podcast. It can be through setting up a clubhouse presence, like whatever is going to be the right channel for you. 
And then like you do, I mean, we build online funnels and we help people create online courses, but that's all sort of all encompassing in terms of the offering memorandum that we have around various ways that we can help people generate visibility leads and revenue on autopilot. Okay. Awesome. Biggest piece of advice you've, you know, you've been in the game 30 plus years and you've done all sorts of things. And I'm imagining this is not the only thing that you've done marketing wise. You've done marketing since what? 30 years ago, there was the facts. The nightclub, <laughs> marketing yeah. front, like, what, what's marketing true? with the nightclub and faxes yeah. and the whole nine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So this is going to be a very different recommendation than perhaps you were thinking or the direction that you wanted me to go. This is something that I've learned and am more aware of now more so than ever. So as far as marketing goes, I would just simply say this, and the answer is probably going to be a little bit different than a strategy or a tactic or this or, or, or that. What I would say to you, and this is something that I've been really trying to get much better at, certainly later here in my career, is when you look at your schedule, make sure that the things that you see on your schedule hmm. involve all the things that you love doing first. So schedule all the things that you love doing first, whether it's yoga or golf or meditation, or I've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for 20 years, like whatever it is, just put all that stuff on your calendar, family time, spouse time, kid time, like whatever you need to do, put that all on your calendar first and fill your calendar with what it is that you really love doing. And then schedule your business stuff outside of those hours. And that will make you a better marketer, it will make you a better entrepreneur, it will make you a better human being. So just some things to think about. That's great. So kind of the me first, is, is that what you're saying? Or the passion? Why do you say that? How did you discover that? And I'm, I'm interested in knowing how you would... I mean, if it was me, then I, I wouldn't do anything. <laughs> just, you know, yoga, martial arts, and, and go hiking all day. Yeah. And you may find, honestly, that... That will, at the end of the day, help you to be a lot more productive about what it is that you do and the hours that you allocate to do it. And so we typically do, we do things in the opposite fashion, mm. right? We typically try to fit in the things we love doing outside of all those hours that we're doing X, Y, or Z. But again, it goes back to just kind of that 80-20 rule like we were talking about before, where if you really dive in, and so if in your case where you said 80% of our revenue is generated from lead generation mm. and 80% of our lead generation revenue is generated from people in the home building you know, type world. What if for 90 minutes a day, you really just went all in cultivating those leads and working and serving those in the home building industry, sign them on as clients, and then the rest was taken over by your team, right? It's just, it's a matter of how much you want to do. And what I have found over the course of my career is that if you are the creator and you are the creative sort of genius, if you will, behind your company and, and you had this vision and you're bringing it to fruition, then it's ultimately better for you and you'll show up in a much better way when you're doing the things that you really love doing. You'll show up in a better way for your clients, you'll show up in a better way for your team, you'll show up in a better way for yourself when you're not so burnt out and not so scattered and not trying to chase, you know, a million different opportunities. So tell me what's a typical day for Steve then? Yeah, well, more and more, it's a typical day of spending time with my wife, spending time with the kids, going to jujitsu, going for hikes and yeah, all the things that we've been talking about here. Right. And so it's interesting to see how when you look at your calendar and you see things on your calendar that you really want to be doing, mm. it's just interesting how now the way that you see your day completely shifts. Whereas for most people, when they look at their calendar, they look at all the meetings and look at all the things that they have to be doing as it relates to work, as opposed to scheduling all the things that you want to be doing. It just varies day by day. I mean, it makes sense because if, if you're just starting your day and everything's just an energy suck, that's not really a good way to start the day. But if it sounds like what you're looking for is a continued recharge of those creative juices and finding really good ways to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so what about you and your brand? Where are you headed? Like, I mean, I've listed off so many things that you do, right? So 
are you continuing on with Reinvention Radio, Podcast Magazine? Are you adding more things? You talked about Clubhouse. What What's next for Steve? Yeah, I mean, more of less, really, because for <laughs> me right now, we've created all the assets that we need to thrive easily for the next few years from the standpoint of we have magazine and podcast magazine is a great asset with tons of content that can be repurposed by the team every single month and and all the issues that we've done before this, right? So tons of content there. We have online courses. Those online courses are evergreen. They're still relevant tomorrow as as, as, as relevant tomorrow as they are today. So those courses can be put into evergreen and sold in an evergreen fashion. Just everything that we have right now is really all that we need. So for me, it's more a matter of subtraction than it is addition and really just focusing on where the biggest opportunities for us lie, like our 1 million downloads mastermind, as an example. We've got a faculty of 15, all of whom have achieved 1 million downloads or more with their podcast, right? And just bringing people into that environment of being in community with folks who love podcasting as much as they do and folks who love social audio as much as they do and being in community with that group of peers and learning from people who have all achieved that magical milestone of a million downloads or more, right? So like that mastermind, it's in place and it's just that can continue to grow and and scale. So for us, it was about creating the assets and now just really being able to leverage those assets. So for me personally, I'm actually taking more and more of a step back and a step out and just letting the team run with the assets that have been created. Give us a nugget. Give us a nugget about that 1 million download. What's the one thing that I could do to get that 1 million download? You know, so it's interesting. So in our in our upcoming issue of Podcast Magazine, we actually have those exact ideas. For, we sat down with 21 different podcasters, all of whom have achieved 1 million downloads or more with their show. And so lots of different ideas from some very interesting folks but, you know, look, I mean, obviously, there's no shortage of ideas. It goes from the very complicated in terms of all of the different ways to find sort of the hidden, untapped potential in these hidden markets that you didn't know exist for downloads to something as simple as just simply advertising on other shows. And a lot of folks will never invest a dime in advertising to get podcast fans who listen to other shows to listen to theirs. So, I mean, like Jordan Harbinger from the Jordan Harbinger show he invests over $40,000 a month in advertising on other shows, just as an example of a simple, fast, easy way, not inexpensive, but simple, fast, and easy way to really build your download numbers. So you've interviewed a ton of people, huh? Would you say? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, since 2009, I've been interviewing people for Reinvention Radio and now with Podcast Magazine. Yeah, I mean, we sat down with Howie Mandel in his studio last month. And uh, yeah, lots of people over the years. Tell me a memorable interview you've had, something that you learned where you're like, you sat in with one opinion, kind of left with, oh, a light bulb. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? So you would think it would be some of these bigger names that I would end up getting the bigger light bulb moments from and whatnot. And then don't get me wrong. I love sitting down with the celebrities and people that the public definitely knows. But one of the more interesting interviews that I've ever done has been sitting down with these four young women at the time that we interviewed them back in 2015 or so, they were maybe 18 or 19 years old. It's the second major interview, if you will, that they had ever done. So they were very inexperienced in the world of publicity and granting interviews. And they're known as the Lucci quadruplets. And so the Lucci quads are these four amazing, well, now women who grew up in Beverly Hills, had all the trappings that you would expect, the big house, the cars, you know, the the whole nine, and lived in just an amazing part of Beverly Hills. They were four of seven children, four girls, three boys. And unfortunately, behind closed doors of this big, beautiful mansion, Things were not good. The dad was really abusive physically, emotionally, some say sexually. Just, you know, it was it was not great. And the mom, unfortunately, was kind of checked out. She was emotionally herself, not all the way there. And she didn't do a lot to protect the girls. And there would be times where 
The dad would bring food home for the boys and not for the girls. He'd bring home gifts and clothes for the boys and not for the girls. And it just, they were not treated very well. And one day the dad decided, you know what? I'm just, I'm done with this. And he left with the three boys. And so he literally left his mom who was, again, not in the best place emotionally, psychologically, et cetera, to fend for herself with these four little girls. And it didn't take long before mom went out to go get groceries or something and didn't come back. And so all of a sudden, these girls went from living in this big, beautiful home with a full family, albeit dysfunctional in their own ways, to being thrust into the foster care system. And And so- So at the time they were six, I believe, when they were thrust into the foster care system. And so there's a lot of people who bring in foster children just for the money and it's not always the best situation. And so they were separated, moved from house to house, again, not treated well at every juncture there. And finally, one couple brought all four girls in and raised them as if they were their own. They all went on to graduate high school. And by the time they got to our show... They had really started to move down this path here, trying to shed some light on the atrocities that take place in the foster care system. And so when we had them as a guest on our show, again, it was only their second real media appearance, and they were so nervous, and they were shaking. I think they were like, maybe, like I said, like 17, 18, whatever they were at that time. And what I learned from that, and as they shared their stories of what took place in the foster care system, and then you know, really how they're trying to shed light on, on so much of what goes on there, what I learned from them was that it doesn't matter how polished you are. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. It doesn't matter how crickly or crackly or shaky your voice is. That ultimately, when you have a mission and a message to share, it's going to be much larger than any of the fears that potentially stand in your way of delivering that message. And so it was really inspiring to see how they wouldn't let their fears stand in the way of doing what it is that they know that they were meant and made to do in terms of sharing so much around what takes place in the foster care system. So that was really inspiring for me to really see that if these girls can do it and they can do what they're doing, there's little reason why I can't do what I want to do. That's beautiful. I mean, to hear about these kind of atrocities is is terrible, but also very inspiring to hear about how resilient the human spirit can be. Yeah, for sure. And is that why also, like in terms of you talked about all the assets, my follow-up question was actually going to be more about how do you do all of the stuff that you do, right? I I got one thing, (laughs) I do that, I try to do as much as I can on that. And here you are, you know, running all these assets as you talked about successfully. How do you do it? How do you stay focused? Yeah, I mean, it's going to sound cliche, but it's really important to be clear on what it is that you really excel at. And when you gain that clarity on where your your zone of genius is or whatever it is that you want to call it, and then you look at what you're doing that falls outside of that zone, it's just simply a matter of really making the decision to not do those things. And so for me, I'm very clear that I don't do most things well in the world of business. What I do really well is I come up with an idea and I'm able to enroll people into that vision to help bring that vision to fruition. But in terms of like in the grass, nuts and bolts, dollars and cents, budgets and this, that and the other, that's not where I excel. So For me, it really has become a matter of of pairing back. Every time I look at the calendar and there's something on there that I don't want to do, I get rid of it. And it's just as simple as that. Either I eliminate it from the business because it's just not needed. And I think it's needed, but ultimately it's not needed. Or I delegate it out or I hire it out because there's always going to be someone whose trash, you know, is is their treasure and, and, and vice versa. And so what I know to be true is that You might make a little bit less money for a period of time if you bring other people in to take care of those things. But in the long run, if it is in fact their treasure, you will make more money and have more impact doing what it is that you really love doing. And so for me, 
that's, as I said earlier, I mean, it's really just become a matter of subtraction and really looking at all the things that I'm doing and just making the conscious decision to say, you know, I don't, I don't want to be doing these things anymore. That's fantastic. So was there a lesson that you, you know, from life that got you to this conclusion? Yeah. I mean, it's a, every day is a lesson. I mean, every day is a lesson if you listen to your soul, really. And your soul will tell you it's literally screaming at you to stop doing the things that are slowly killing you, right? Like, I mean, it is telling you every single moment you're engaged in those activities that you shouldn't be doing what it is that you're doing. And conversely, when you're doing things that you really love doing, you'll know that as well. So the lesson that's learned is a daily ongoing lesson, literally every minute of every single day. You just have to tune in and make sure that you're not ignoring those messages. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to go into our rapid fire lightning round. Just going to ping a bunch of questions to you. See what, uh, what you come up with. You ready? I will try. All right. Favorite movie. I'm going to have to go pretty much old school and, and just say if I was stuck on a desert, Deserted island? Yeah, desert would be a whole thing. They probably wouldn't have electricity <laughs> there. But if I was on a deserted island that had electricity and I could play a movie on the daily, I'd have to say that I would probably be in the in sort of that that Scarface camp, you know, something really oh, wow. violent. Let me tell you a little something. My little, let me introduce you to my little friend. Is that it? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. You're into yeah. mob movies. Oh, yeah. All right. Awesome. Goodfellas? Goodfellas is a, is a good one. My older son actually kind of took that out of my favorite column only because he watched it like 30 times over a, over a four month <laughs> period. And I was like, okay, that's about enough of that. All right. What's playing on your Netflix right now? Oh, believe it or not, the wife and I are watching the circle. We are strangely addicted to that ridiculous show called the circle, the social media sort of game, if you will. It's just good quality fun. But outside of that, it would have been married at first sight. Nice. <laughs> All right. Ebooks, Kindle, or an actual physical book. I'm definitely all about the physical. I still prefer the physical books, no doubt. Let Love Rule is the current book that I've got on the, uh, that's a Lenny Kravitz autobiography there that I've got on the, uh, on the coffee table. Fantastic. Favorite holiday? Favorite holiday. That's a good one. I mean, I'm probably partial towards Christmas because I'm Jewish and it allows me to watch as others celebrate and enjoy the festivities without actually having, you know, active involvement. So yeah, probably Christmas. <laughs> I have some Jewish friends I would say every Christmas they would go have Chinese food. So when you think of Christmas, do you think of Chinese food? At one point I may have, but I would say that it was more a matter of just feeling left out. Like, why do they get all of this? Like, it's just such a big deal. Everybody celebrates Christmas. Nobody really gave a shit about about Hanukkah. So that was, yeah, I was was really feeling left out as a kid, but I got over it. Nickname your parents used to call you. <laughs> uh, dumbass asshole. <laughs> oh, Pick that up. I mean, like you know, what are you going to do with your life? I think those were the. I think those were. Those the are the nicknames. nicknames. Oh man. Yeah, those are the nicknames. Those are, and those are the friendly ones. <laughs> do you snore? Uh, I do not actually. Thankfully, uh, neither does my wife. Favorite junk food. Man, I tell you, of late, I've been really addicted to these sea salt chocolate almonds like those are with the terabine sugar whatever they call it i don't know what they call it but it's like the terabine sugar and and sea salt almonds from trader joe's those are something else we love the trader joe's even though we don't get them here in canada anymore actually we never did we had something called pirate joe's some dude actually like bought a bunch of trader joe's stuff went up the border and stocked a store until trader joe sued them and said you can't do that anymore oh really (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> champagne or beer uh, you know what I'm, I'm gonna just have to say beer because it's just so much better on a hot summer day star wars or star trek oh star wars best mob movie i'm gonna ask yeah right you know what? i'm gonna actually have to go in a, a little bit of a different direction it's not really a mob movie it sort of kind of is but you know of the movies that are in that genre I, i'm really a fan of the departed i thought they did that one really well Good movie. And favorite podcast that's not your own? 
question. Favorite one that is not my own. I'm going to have to lean towards, oh, God, we so many people in our world. And I'm going to get murdered if I choose just one here. Um, Give me your top three. Give me your top three. Hate mail is never going to stop. All right. So <laughs> the nice guys on business is a good one. Doug Sand. I really, really like what Doug and, and Strickland do there with the nice guys on business. That's a good one. I will say that if I'm thinking, you know, kind of more comedy-esque, probably leaning more towards like a Dax Shepard. They're pretty funny together. Sarah Silverman actually can be pretty funny. And Howie Mandel's new podcast, actually, I'm digging on his show as well. But then on the sort of more entertaining side of things, you just can't go wrong with anything that Laura Beale does. So Laura is the one who did uh, Dr. Death and she was on the Wondery platform. All of her stuff is just really top notch. Awesome. Okay. Well, tell us where we can find you if any of our fans want to reach out and ask questions. Yeah, I mean, probably Podcast Magazine is the best place to start. So I'd say just go to podcastmagazine.com slash free. That's a private backdoor link to grab a free lifetime subscription there. And then uh, you can reach out to me through the magazine. All right, Steve. Well, you're an inspiration and thanks for some good soul food today, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, food happy for the heart. Here. It was great. And everybody, thank you for listening today. And this is Marketing News Canada. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.